I would like to welcome you to the Shipowners PI Club podcast series. I'm Simon Swallow, the Chief Executive of the club, and I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcasts, which we believe offer an exciting new way of delivering relevant and insightful content to our members and their brokers and to the many other stakeholders who work with and support the operations of the club, such as our global PI correspondence. Covering a range of topics with guest speakers from different backgrounds across the maritime and insurance industry, and with a special focus promoting safety of life and property at sea, we hope that you will find the discussions with our club representatives interesting and useful to you in your own operation. Thank you. Hi, welcome to episode one of the Yacht Fire podcast. I'm Nicola Kingman, manager of the Yacht Syndicate at Ship Owners. In this episode, Charlie Cooper, our loss prevention executive, is looking at yacht electrical fires and the insurance implications of such incidents with guest speakers, Sean Blue and Carl Lassard of AIG. Hello, I'm Charlie Cooper, loss prevention executive at Ship Owners Club. Today I have with me Carl Lassard and Sean Blue from AIG. Welcome, Sean and Carl. Could you tell us a bit about yourselves and your experience within the industry, please? My name is Sean Blue. I'm the head of watercraft globally for AIG. I've worked for AIG for the last 15 years. Prior to that, I worked as a broker specializing in yacht insurance and high net worth insurance with some stops at Chubb and PLI Brokerage and a couple of other independent agencies and brokers along the way. Yeah, and Charlie, uh, my name is Carl Assard, and I head up loss prevention for the yacht division at AIG. I've been with AIG nine years and report to Sean. I've worked in the yachting industry uh, in and out of it. Uh, for many years, and I still hold a captain's license and stay reasonably active uh, to keep my license active as well. Good. Both very well experienced, and it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Kind of on the topic of yacht fires, and specifically yacht electrical fires, could you share with us some details of a relevant incident which you've experienced? Sure. Well, fire is our, our number one cause of severe losses. When I say severe losses, I mean losses above, say, $2 million dollars per occurrence. It's something we definitely pay a lot of attention to. One of the, the largest yacht fires that we've had in the north of $20 million was an electrical fire in nature caused by what we believe to be a screw through a, a closet panel that shorted a, a wire in the void space and caused an electrical fire that took the crew quite some time to locate. And most of the damage was smoke related. This is on a 300 foot vessel. So there's a lot of smoke damage. And the, the loss amount north of 20 million was less about any kind of hole compromisation and more about cleaning all of the smoke and soot and uh, you know, the miles and miles of wire and all the textiles and soft furnishings, everything had to be cleansed or replaced. I know that we've we discussed before on a, on a previous call that if they'd simply had like a thermal imaging camera, a quite inexpensive kit in comparison to a $20 million claim, is this a piece of equipment that you think is something that should be widely held on board? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we learned a lot of lessons from that. I'll, I'll speak to the big ones, Carl, and then maybe you can talk about the, the equipment. But, you know, having a thermographic camera on board, one of the, the challenges with this particular loss was that the crew couldn't locate the origin of the fire. And it took eight hours or so before they finally found the, the origin. And that's because it, it buckled the superstructure right above the closet, which was in a stateroom. 
on the top of the boat on the bridge deck. So from that, we learned quite a few lessons of, of things to recommend or require for boats, uh, yachts that they carry. There's also lessons learned, I think, from class, which we unfortunately can't have any uh, influence on, but there are no smoke detectors or extinguishing systems within the void space on this particular yacht or required by class or flag. So in this particular case, that would have been helpful as well. But if the crew had been carrying a thermography camera, whether it's a really, really inexpensive one that you hook to your iPhone, or it's a more robust unit that's maybe a thousand bucks, they would have been able to find the fire within a minute and made that loss not a not an eight month to a year yard time, um, which for the client, the most important thing that they have is their time. And so, you know, the financial loss is significant, but the loss of time to the client is more significant to them. Financial loss is more significant to me. The time loss is more significant to them. So having that type of equipment on board would would limit, you know, that that occurrence from happening and certainly find the fire a lot faster. Uh, There were a lot of other lessons learned on that particular case that we both discovered as a result of the loss and then and then doing research after the fact that I'll let Carl speak to. Right. Yeah, we've seen several fires, and they typically happen right after yard periods or refits. And and this one, as Sean described, we suspected was a screw that was put through a wire in an area that they were stalling a new steam unit to steam towels for the massage room. But the uh, the the key is is having proper training for the crews, and in particular, having several teams of crew members on board that are trained with advanced firefighting. And also, you know, it is imperative to have uh, one of these infrared thermographic uh, cameras on board. And just about every fire truck in America has one on board. And the first thing they do when they get to a fire is they start looking for where the hot spot is. So they are attacking the origin of the fire Getting back to the void spaces, you know, Sean is correct in saying that there typically are are no smoke detectors or heat detectors in void spaces. And this is where we find most of the fires uh, generate from if they're not engine room fires. And engine room fires typically, you know, start when you have a highly compressed fuel uh, such as uh, diesel and it is sprayed in a mist over a hot surface uh, like an exhaust uh, manifold. And that's where you can get a, a fire started. And of course, electrical fires and generators and other equipment in, in the engine room. There, there's a couple of products out there that we highly recommend. It's a small cylinder. They come in different a variety of sizes, depending on how much uh, space that they are trying to protect. And it's an aerosol. They were designed for the rocket, solid rocket industry. They are certified for uh, most flags and are UL listed as well. Uh, they do not damage any electronic equipment, which is a big plus because as, as Sean will tell you is, you know, once you have a fire, let's say up under a dash uh, where you have all your electronic equipment, your computers for your plotters and radar equipment uh, and so on and so forth. You know, once, if you have a fire in that space and you use a typical fire extinguisher, it's more than likely you're going to damage all that equipment, which is highly expensive and time consuming to repair and may inhibit the, the use of the vessel until most of that equipment is repaired. But a great solution for that, they can be triggered automatically with a thermal fuse, or they can be ignited manually from a pull switch. And they're very reasonably priced. Uh, so we do encourage, particularly in new builds, the use of a system like that, and certainly having detection in those large voice spaces, and especially where there's electronics. It, it, one of the other things to consider is 
Shipyards and marinas are not necessarily set up properly for firefighting. They typically have the minimal. There are some marinas and yacht yards that don't put hoses out because they're afraid of the liability is if uh, crew members start using the hoses to maybe do some boundary cooling on their vessels so the fire doesn't spread from one vessel to another. But we encourage uh, yacht yards and marinas to step that up. We like to see them have foam capability so that the fire department, when they arrive, uh, can use use foam and that that is absolutely a excellent way to keep fire particularly from spreading to other vessels carl mentioned equipment but uh the other the other key component i think he touched on it is, is training and training of the crew and one of the things that we get involved in and encourage is that yachts go through shipboard firefighting together as a team as a unit when you get your credentials for your firefighting training as far as your your captains or, or crewman's credentials you, you take that training on your own. And all the feedback we get from the crews and the captains that have gone through that have said this is just immeasurable how important it is because I can see, you know, who is going to, who needs some coaching, who doesn't, who's going to take charge, and they can all train together as a crew. The equipment is key, but also more important than the, tra- than the equipment is the training because the crew members are the first responders, both from you know a firefighting standpoint and any other emergency that happens on board. Yeah, I, I can echo that. My background itself isn't actually on yachts. It's in traditional uh, merchant vessels. But it's, it's, it's very true that the, the, the training you get kind of on shore with live fires, you don't do it with people who you work with. You do it with people who are just together on the course. And then a lot of the times you have drills on board and they are with your teammates but there's not live fires and uh, you kind of just go through the motions and sometimes it can just be a paperwork exercise so i think that's a really good uh, scheme you've got there kind of encouraging teams to go through together i also think it's really useful sharing uh, important lessons learned from from cases experienced in the yachting world there isn't really uh, a body such as the maib which we have in the uk to share these lessons so i think it's really important uh, that we take the time and initiative to share the information ourselves during your time in the yachting industry Industry. How do you think the trend in the yacht fires has changed? And do you think there's a particular reason for this? Well, it does. I, I don't know if the frequency has changed, but the severity has changed because the, the, the market itself has expanded with larger boats and larger values, higher values and more complex systems. So, uh, you know, I, I'd have to look at hard data to see if the frequency changed. But one thing I can tell you is severity certainly has. Um, I would also submit that frequencies probably changed a little bit just in the nature of the electronic complexity back to electrical fires of some of these boats where everything there's so much less mechanically driven systems than there used to be we've seen cases on sailboats more than motor yachts in certain cases but where in sailboats where space is at a premium as its weight but everything is electronically actuated and the, the circuit panel that drives every process on the boat every hydraulic winch system everything on there is all confined to a very tight little locker space with low ventilation. We see that time and time again on some of these higher-end sailboats. Also with lithium-ion batteries and, and their infancy, and they seem to be getting a little bit more stable and reliable depending on the chemistry used. But in the early days of, of lithium-ion chemistries, there was quite an increase in fires, and we're still seeing that happen in toys. Less so in the battery systems themselves for the for the yachts, but certainly in the toys, factor, but any kind of submersible propulsion device or a electric-powered surfboard or a foil board, something like that, where the manufacturers might be using batteries from a less reliable manufacturer overseas. We're seeing a lot of fires in those instances as well in toys, especially as these units get older in their service life and people are still 
you know, just kind of now understanding battery life, the, the servicing, the charging protocols, the need to replace these items at certain age intervals. So we're seeing an increase in that and paying very close attention to chemistries used in the age of batteries. But in terms of frequency, the types of fires that happen, they still happen. As Carl mentioned, the engine fires, we've got fires from electronics, we've got fires from paint application, we've got fires from lightning, all different types of, uh, one of our largest losses was six plus million dollar loss to a carbon fiber sailboat hit by lightning where the grounding um, system failed and then the entire boat caught on fire. Um, starting with the mast. So we certainly see some fires resulting from that activity. And then it's a, it's a potpourri of sources after that. I think from a club perspective, ours is kind of quite similar. And from speaking to other people, they would kind of echo what you've said there. The club itself, we've experienced 17 yacht fire claims between 2014 and 2020. And uh, where, it's been, where it's possible to establish the cause of the fire, 10 were directly a result of electrical fault and one indirectly, which happened to be birthed next to another yacht which caught fire due to electrical fault. So yeah, this is something that we've seen. And in future podcasts in this series, we'll be speaking to surveyors about what their thoughts are regarding lithium-ion batteries and electrical fires in general. Uh, we, we seem to see a lot uh, relating to lighting, uh, retrofitting, LED lighting. So that's something that we'll address with surveyors later on. Carl, one of his services for us is that he goes out and does on-site inspections for, for yachts of all different sizes and gives safety recommendations. And that's that's a, a very common thing that we find actually is in overhead panels, whether it's, you know, it's less of an issue with an LED light, but with a, with a halogen light or an incandescent light, well too often we're seeing lights that are immediately above a, a closed door on open door that's latched where that heat builds up and the tolerances between the top of the, the ceiling and the top of the door are very tight. And uh, seen quite a few burn marks on tops of doors, that we call, where uh, that uh, is unfortunately too common. So uh, yep. certainly when the, the, the relighting systems, LEDs, where they're, they're not grounded properly, or there's, I'm certainly not an electrician, um, but all the reasons that those changeovers may result in, in short circuits, but also just heat from halogen incandescent bulbs being prop- improperly located or just carelessness. Right. Yeah, and we had a fire that was caused by a halogen light over a door in a crew cabin on a large motor yacht, and the door caught fire. So fortunately, the crew was on board, and they were able to extinguish it, but there certainly was some damage. And I think it's important to kind of underscore that, you know, lithium-ion battery fires are, are basically metal fires. And metal fires, as you know, are almost impossible to put out unless you have the right compound. And there's a specific compound for each type of metal fire. So once it gets going, you're not going to stop it unless you have that. And it's highly unlikely that you're going to have that compound on board. We had an underwater propulsion device that caught on fire while in the cockpit of the boat and the crew were able to get the the device off of the yacht and onto the dock and it started burning the dock down and the fire department came and put out the fire. Then it caught on fire again about two hours later while it was sitting in the parking lot. They put out the fire again and then the unit went back to the the warehouse for the fire department for investigatory work and it caught on fire there again a third time. There you have it. It's just like, you know, a friend of mine, father, unfortunately, on 4th of July here in the U.S., thought it would be a lot of fun to join in in the festivities. And he pulled a flare gun out and fired it from his cockpit. Uh, The flare hit the boom and then bounced back down into the yacht and it burned the yacht to the waterline in the middle of the harbor. So that's a metal fire. Yeah. And and as you say that 
it highlights again what we've previously discussed about just having the, the right equipment on board and I imagine a lot of these yachts just have on board the kind of extinguishers they're required to have by law and have the bare minimum rather than necessarily having the ones which are kind of suitable for the potential fires that they may face on board. I think, you know, Charlie is just just going back to the shipyards a little bit is, you know, I think what, what we need to do is just try to get crews uh, actually more diligent when they're in a shipyard environment. You know, a lot of the interior is covered with protective materials such as plastic or wood, you know, thin, thin veneer woods to protect decks and things like that. And sometimes the smoke and heat detectors get covered up. What we like to see yachts do is there's some new technology out there in the market. It's actually coming out of Europe. And it was designed to uh, protect high-rise buildings while they're under construction. And it's a complete wireless system that has heat and smoke detectors, as well as emergency buttons and sirens. And that information can be set up so it can be dialed to a central station. You know, here in the U.S., you know, we have uh, several central station companies like ADT and so on and so forth. So that's a critical thing. And particularly, uh, you know, if they're painting the vessel, a lot of times they'll depower it so that there's no chance of, you know, having an, an explosion due to the paint that's in the atmosphere. But we'd like to see extra fire extinguishers throughout the vessel that are in plain sight, extra fire extinguishers at the gangway sites so that if there is a fire on board, somebody can attend to the fire with a fire extinguisher in hand. Absolutely, there should be fire watches. Uh, a lot of times when the, the yachts are in, in a yard for a refit or a paint job, it's generally a time where they like to give some of the crew members time off when actually that's a time that the crew should be actually more vigilant. And so we do recommend having an actual fire watch, uh, whether that person uh, you know, is, is on from you know, 12 to 6 in the morning, but keeping an eye on the vessel while it's unattended and there's nobody living on board. And then as, as well as, as having extra fire extinguishers outside engine spaces and anywhere that hot work is going on, because hot work is something that we're all concerned with, you know, when a vessel is, is in a shipyard having a repair work done. Thank you very much for that, Carl. That kind of leads me quite nicely onto. to... Uh... What I was going to ask you next, um, at Ship Owners Club, Nicola Kingman, head of the uh, Yacht Underwriting Syndicate, and she does a fantastic job leading the team. And they take a great interest in the scope of work being done in the yard. Uh, they kind of check the yard contracts, uh, the firefighter capabilities of the yard, to name a few examples. And from our side, this has seen a reduction in the number of the fires occurring kind of whilst the, the yachts are in the yard. Do you think there's a way that as an industry and as insurers that we can apply similar pressure? I think the answer to that is it, it really depends on and we're seeing this now with the hardening of the market but it, you know it, it takes many insurers or many programs to suffer losses for everybody to take the same type of behavior and reaction and far too often you know one of us that are providing insurance in this segment will take a loss and it and will be you know careless or will be unlucky you decide which and the other the other insurers don't suffer the same experience and then take a marketing or a commercial view not to impose some of these same requirements. But I think as the industry kind of evolves and these these losses, and you mentioned Nicola's efforts and they're commendable and we're, we're trying to do the same thing with our requirements, but not everybody steps in line and we certainly can't collude to have a uniform process and protocol. 
we can manage our portfolio the best we can and make the smartest decisions we can and sometimes take commercial views. But it, it takes it takes a village to all kind of have the same protocols put in place and then cooperation from the yards as well. Most yards are extremely conscientious about this work. The, the deferment or the transference of liability is a separate issue, but most of them do listen to input and, and take care, not all of them. But I think, you know, the, the improvement in fire losses, electrical or otherwise, I think there's been a lot of notice taken and a lot of behavioral change by insurers and yachts and yards. And there's a lot of protocols put in place. And I think the process, by and large, is fairly buttoned up. There's always room for improvement, but there's a lot of source of loss in a boatyard other than fire and or electrical fires. And, and painting was one thing that we kind of touched on. And there's certainly been quite a number of fires resulted in painting, whether we're talking about, you know, varnish rags being inappropriately put away, not stored properly, or the issue that, you know, at some point in the cycle of the paint job, the boat is depowered. The crew is not on the boat. And, you know, Carl mentioned additional fire extinguishers, but that also requires independent uh, fire sensing alarm that need to be put into place when the boat's depowered because the boat has no sensors. It has no fire extinguishing systems going. It's completely dead. In those situations, we don't see too often enough where those types of precautions are being taken by the yard or by the yacht where they're having these independent fire alarms set up and additional fire extinguishers. And then, of course, the watch because the boat depowered, everybody has to stay somewhere else. And so having the watches in place, something that we require, but we don't always see others requiring in the space or yards encouraging. So Carl, I don't know if you want to chat about those, the different independent fire sensing systems that you've recommended or can explain. Yeah, sure. This system was developed for the high-rise construction industry. They're absolutely wireless. Batteries are long life. They report if the battery's going dead. It's a very smart, simple system for anyone to use. And looking at all the systems available out there in the market, we, we believe that that at this present time is the best system and, and reasonably priced. I'm hoping that at some point in time, Yachts would be able to rent the system, which would come in a waterproof Pelican case delivered to the yacht, and they could set it up and feel a lot more comfortable about things. One of the other things, Charlie, I think that you'll be particularly interested in is, as a merchant mariner yourself, is uh, many years ago, you know, Sean and I in discussion were looking at where are the areas that we could improve fire protection for yachts. And one of the things I'm always aware of, and I think that you are as well, is that fighting a fire on board a large ship or a large yacht is a completely different animal than battling a, a wood home fire. In one case, the West Palm Beach Fire Department increased all of the equipment for the Palm Beach International Boat Show, and they put in a mobile 1,200-gallon tank of foam material, increased the amount of hoses and induction lines that they could use to put the foam down the lines to any of the docks during the boat show, and they stepped up their training. It will save not only yachts, and as you know, it's not only it's never only one that goes up, but once one goes up, there's generally several more. So, uh, And also life safety, life safety for the firefighters and the yacht crews, and also kind of developing a dialogue between the two and making the firefighters feel more comfortable that not only we respect what they do, but allowing them into our homes and, and showing them, you know, how they can help us in the future. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you got there about uh, kind of got a, a two-pronged approach whereby you kind of train the the onshore firefighting teams uh, how best to deal with the, the specific nature of a yacht fire. And then on board, it seems very, very simple and effective by just having wireless smoke detecting systems, increasing fire watches, having the correct extinguishers on board. It's not things which are out of anyone's reach, really, in terms of they're massively expensive or they require extra crew. 
kind of looking forward to the to the future, how do you think that this trend may develop? Do you think that, Sean, you touched upon it earlier on where you said that kind of until we either get in line or something really catastrophic happens, then it may just carry on as, as it is. But do you have anything further to add on, on the predictions for this trend? Well, I, you know, I think we, we have a period in time where we're starting to see these very large yachts hit almost 20 years old now. You know, given the, the expansion of the industry and everything getting bigger, more expensive and more complex. And some of these boats now that were built in 2005 and six and seven and eight, right you know, in the boom years of these yachts are now you know, changing hands for the second or third time at much lower prices than what it costs to build. And that phenomenon, what we see is that the people buying those boats, while still very wealthy and very capable, may not really appreciate the maintenance costs it takes to run a boat that is that size and complex and therefore see deferred maintenance and that kind of exacerbated by the by the age of the boat. So that's something we also pay very close attention to, but I don't see that trend changing because we have, you know, an aging fleet that you know, due to where the economic world was at the time, there was a lot of boats getting bigger and more expensive and those boats are now need lots of attention. And that's the, the direction that the business is going. Boats are getting bigger and more complex. That's not going to change. Rarely satisfied to uh, not move forward, especially in the yachting space. So, so safe to say that you think that with the the yachts getting bigger and kind of the electrical systems on board getting more complicated, then this is kind of something which is going to be around for a little while longer. And if you couple this with these super yachts that you mentioned that are now getting to the later stages of their life, that they're uh, and the maintenance on there may not be kept up as it should right. be, especially on an old, older yacht, then this is something that isn't necessarily going to be going away anytime soon. Well, and, and more expensive. I mean, we're seeing, you know, not even in just in the mega yacht space, a 42 Boston Wheeler Center console is a million dollars. There are certain, you know, boats from 70 to 90 feet that are approaching $10 million in value. It's just getting more expensive. And, and therefore, when the loss happens, it's more severe. And that's um, then, again, exacerbated by by the deferred maintenance over time as they age because the, the partial loss costs don't change. The total loss changes as the value comes down, but what it costs to fix that boat doesn't ever go down. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned earlier on that the, the yacht owners themselves, it's about the the kind of the loss of time in which they can enjoy their yacht with an already finite season in which they can enjoy their yacht if it's under repair or, or whatever, then obviously this, this time is reduced even further. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for the billionaire client, the most important asset they have is time. Money's easy. Time is not. Okay, brilliant. Do, you, do either of you have uh, anything else you'd, uh, you'd like to add or, or discuss on the topic? No, I think that, that pretty much covers it. I do see that as the large yacht space has grown over the last couple of decades, the professionalism and training has increased and improved with the size of the yachts. And I, I see that as a trend, and I think it's a good trend. I think the, the larger yachts taken very seriously. And I also see that, you know, with rotational systems, you know, for captains and, and chief engineers and first officers and things like that, I see that people are working harder and are more diligent in the industry as, as a whole. That's uh, at least some positivity to finish off with then. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Carl and Sean. That was brilliant. There was some really, really good stuff in there. I think our listeners can take home a lot from that. We hope you found this podcast episode interesting and informative. If you did, make sure you tune in to our next episode where we talk with Anthony Beveridge from Aquilus Bremer, where we discuss some of the technical issues surrounding the causes of yacht electrical fires.